everyone, and welcome back to the podcast. I'm the host, Sean Boyce. I'd like to welcome my guest to the show today, Randy Johnston, who is co-founder of NMGI, or Network Management Group, Inc., as well as a partner at K2 Enterprises. Hello, Randy. How are you? And thanks for being on the show. Sean, I'm well. Thank you very much. And I appreciate being invited to speak with you and your listeners today. Absolutely. And thank you. I'm very excited to um, talk about the topics that we've got prepared today because you have an unbelievable amount of experience in the industry, uh, both accounting uh, industry and technology. So uh, I have about, as you can imagine, a million questions for you, and I'll do my best to keep it uh, as reasonable as possible in terms of time because I know you're very busy. But before we get into that, uh, I would love if you wouldn't mind sharing for our audience a little bit more information about your background and perhaps how you got to where you are today. All right. Happy to do so. And I will try to keep it short, but because I've been doing this for a lot of years, sometimes well it's long. And, uh, you know, I'm smiling as I say that because I actually have been programming for over 60 years. And that's kind of hard to picture. So when people talk about like artificial intelligence, I was coding using artificial intelligence tools like Lisp in 1978. So, you know, a long time back on that. But what really happened is I came down from mainframe and mini computers and was a programmer in the early days and uh, wound up in personal computers as they were evolving before the IBM PC or the uh, Apple II were introduced. So I've been around PCs uh, from the CPM days and know most of the inventors of those products. And because I had the programming background, I was lucky enough to meet a lot of the you know, heavy-duty founders in the industry uh, early on. So most of the hardware companies whose names you'd recognize, most of the software companies whose names you might call out, I've probably done uh, paid consulting work through the years. But I really wound up doing personal computers, hooking them together into networks, then uh, doing more accounting software on those, then adding uh, paperless and uh, workflow, if you will. And then that brought me around to the accounting profession, uh, professional tools like of CCH and Thompson and Intuit, so tax and audit tools and so forth. So through the years, I've actually written complete systems for hotel and lodging, uh, was involved with the medical uh, industry, helping uh, create a lot of the paperless claims and ICD codes and uh, diagnosis codes through the ICD and CPT systems. But really considered that those industries took too long to move and wound up uh, working with lots of different industries. So because of that, I actually have background in distribution and manufacturing and healthcare and construction and professional accounting firms and so forth. And, you know, most people would tell you, well, you can't really be an expert at everything. And it's like, you know, what I do is I take what I learn in one industry and then take it to another industry or profession and apply it there. So that's served me very well through the years. That's incredible. And an unbelievable history as well, too, in terms of technology across industries really as well, too. But I know you've got a lot of deep technical knowledge specifically in the accounting space as well, too. So it's uh, it's unbelievably impressive. And I have uh, about a million questions for you as well. Also about that, I'll try to stick to what our listeners probably want to hear from you most as well, also due to the limited yeah. time. But 
Uh, whenever you have more, that. I'd love to ask more. <laughs> I understand uh, on that. And, you know, it's really been interesting because even a call I had earlier today, uh, since I was an original designer with QuickBooks Online, NetSuite, and Sage Intag, just to give you three examples, yep. you know, I go way back on all those products. And we were talking about why tools work the way they did. So, you know, I've got this weird technical thing, and then I've got this weird inside knowledge from doing the work. So I'll never violate a non-disclosure, but I've got lots of great stories that would be good to share offline too <laughs> awesome well that, that adds a bunch more questions because i want to hear all of them <laughs> uh, but perhaps the best place to start given the depth and breadth of your knowledge and experiences more from the perspective of what you see trending particularly in industry as it pertains to technology in terms of kind of where it's been maybe a previous phase and then what is really the, the main focus currently for we're talking at like the partnership level at accounting firms and then what they really need to be prepared for in terms of what's coming as it pertains to technology since you've yep. seen that basically the entire curve uh you know previous history is probably not a bad predictor in terms of what may be coming and obviously much of that is already underway so anywhere wherever you'd like to kind of start there i think that's the yeah. great a great place to jump off We're taking a cut on that sean um we note that developers, um, you know, mature out about every 10 years. In other words, there's a new generation of development people and it takes them a couple of years to get really good. And then they can be effective for three, four, five years. And many of them burn out so they don't actually last. So you get this repetitive cycle. And what I think I've observed through the last uh, decades is about mid-decade is when you get an awful lot of the significant innovations that happened with the 386 processor let's say in 1987 and happened with windows 95 in 1995 and the same has been true in 2005 and i think in 2015 and so forth as we look back now obviously products are released all the time but i think we're in a bit of a lull right now before we get the new generation of products here in a couple of three years. And as it relates to the accounting profession itself, the major publishers have all been evolving and trying to write their new generation platforms. Uh, CCH is probably the furthest ahead with the access platform, having started on that in 2006. And it's starting to mature out pretty well. But, you know, when I think about what will affect accounting firms directly, the new generation of robotic process automation and of AI automation, it's just starting to mature and it's getting effective enough that I would uh, suggest that that could be used. Uh, we have to get our workflows correct to use things like RPA correct or to use some of the forms recognition tools correctly. But I think what you're going to have is an opportunity to make firms far more effective and efficient by using these tools. And firms have been trying to solve this, Sean, by outsourcing or cobbling things together. And I, I think those days may be coming a bit to a close. Yeah, super well said. And you uh, shared a number of examples that I'd love to dive deeper into as well, also, because I know these acronyms are being thrown around quite a bit, particularly in the accounting tech world these days, and a little bit of scrambling kind of going on, uh, perhaps at the partnership level in terms of figuring out like, what are these? What do I need to know about them? Who do I need at my firm? Do I need someone at my firm? Do I need advisors to add to the mix in terms of, am I properly taking advantage of what these technologies have to offer? Like, what can they do now? What What's 
foundation for like what's next, that type of stuff. So I'd love to hear uh, you talk a little bit more about those specifically as well, too. Since you mentioned those, I'm sure for some of our listeners, they're probably thinking along those lines at the moment. And uh, you'd be a great person to ask about essentially what they can do to prepare themselves for this. Yeah. And I would caution you that probably now that what you're being told by salespeople from many of these industries is the worst I've seen in 40 years. In other words, they're actually not portraying truthfully the exact capabilities of the product. So it's very much buyer beware right now. Each of the technologies that we're talking about, though, uh, robotic process automation or RPA, for example, or, or AI, artificial intelligence, I think you'll find that many of these uh, products become a little bit self-feeding, but there's two real key uh, roles that you're going to need in your firm, depending on your size, how how many are, how sophisticated. But one of those is project manager. We're going to have a lot of applications that we have to implement, and you're going to need project management skills. They don't necessarily have to be certified with PMP, but having a project manager on your team is, I think, critically important. The second major role is the data scientist. And I have um, been promoting the idea for about four years now that a lot of the new audit analytics that we're going to do, a lot of the quality standards that we're going to have to meet, uh, continuous auditing and so forth, we're going to have to have more analytic skills and you're going to get that through data scientists. They also have a better chance of understanding some of the structures of this data. So those are two pretty specific uh, roles. And I'm going to give one final one, Sean. And, and it's not very complimentary sounding. I've got to come up with a better name, but I've been calling it at the, uh, because I learned the term from my associate, Brian Tankersley out of Knoxville, Tennessee. Brian calls it digital plumbing. He said, we, you know, we hook a lot of these platforms together with the Zapiers and the one SASs and the interfaces that are in many of the platforms we have. And you're going to need somebody that can hook these systems together and maintain this, these connections. Now, that stuff, by the way, these low-code, no-code tools are getting far easier to use. So Zapier and Power Automate and, and the interfaces of the APIs, those are getting much, much easier to do. And in many cases, they become almost automatic, but they're not going to be automatic for four, five, six more years, I figure. But for example, if we want to hook QuickBooks Online to SmartVault, that's pretty automatic. Right. And if we want to hook uh, to a number of the add ons, the programmers have done the API automation, but the APIs, the application program interfaces, the way these applications talk to each other, they tend to break. They're, they're fragile. And so they're not industrial. And I want these bloody connections to be industrial and they're not. So those three rules, I think, are the rules. A couple of excellent points there. I'd love to dive in further again as well. Also, the project manager element definitely going to be important and probably most firms have a most experience understanding that as a role, but the other two, perhaps not as much. So I'd love to kind of queue up a couple of questions for you about those dive in maybe a little bit further. The plumbing one, so important. Couldn't agree more. It's amazing what these no code and low code tools have been capable of today. Like you said, I think we're right on the precipice of Reaching, and I think you did a great job of articulating that. I, that's more eloquent than I've heard it stated before in terms of reaching an industrial level of the integration capability and resiliency to, you know, 
it's great to be able to connect one thing to the next, kind of do that now, it's effective. But in terms of resiliency and efficiency and redundancy and all that kind of stuff, it's probably not there. So if you're trying to make that a primary workflow to the point where it's along the critical path for whatever your workflows or work streams are, if that breaks, but you're really relying on it, you know, it could be a single point of failure and cause trouble at some point. So I'd love to hear you talk more about what preparing, what firms can be doing to start doing the homework there and preparing themselves for making sure someone's monitoring, maintaining, you know, hooking it up, monitoring it, maintaining it, making sure that it runs well. And then the other one was the data scientist, which um, is an excellent point to bring up. And I think one that's probably lesser known of the three, perhaps even lesser so than the plumbing and the integrations kind of individual. And But to your point, that's going to become so much more important because we're collecting so much data. Everything's becoming digital. Uh, tech is pushing these systems considerably further. And as we add a lot of this automation, collecting a lot of that data, we're going to need to know what to do with it, right? Because that data of and in itself holds a lot of power and opportunity for us to learn more, uh, to take advantage of predictive analytics, to just be prepared for kind of the next generation, I think is probably, you would probably find it. Yes, sir. I think you're spot on on that. So I'm going to be a little simplistic for a moment because for the past 40 years or so on technology, I've claimed that there are a few things that you can do. I call it a three-legged stool. The first one is reliability. The second leg is uh, speed. And the third is cost. All right. And you can pick any two. Yeah, that's right. And the other one will be dictated. And I think it's got to work no matter what. So I always pick reliability first. And because my team members costs are so high, you know, we don't, we pay accountants fairly well. I want speed because I want to get leverage out of my hardware and software investments for those expensive people resources. So I let the costs fall where they may. And sometimes through the years, I know I've been criticized on like, wow, you always recommend spending more money. It's because I'm using as a hardware and software as a lever. Okay. So this preparation that we're talking about, these digital plumbing tools, uh, like I said, they're, they're starting to work okay but they will absolutely break. So the problem now is you have to have excellent backups that you can restore from on these online environments. And the problem is they're going to get out of sync. So the issue is if I'm trying to push transactions in a workflow from, let's say, invoice scanning, and they don't exactly connect to my accounting software product, whatever it is, low-end stuff like QuickBooks Online, mid-market like Sage Intech. So if it breaks, how do you roll it back, if you will? Now, in the old days of computers, we always had transaction rollback in our databases. So, you know, when I ran a very large mainframe system, I could roll back transactions for 24 hours and I could take any second in time and start the transactions rolling forward again. Well, most of the vendors have not written their systems to be so sophisticated. So what can we do? Well, we can have very frequent point-in-time backups. Now, there's tools in the marketplace, and this podcast is not about recommending this tool or that tool. But for example, a backup tool like Rewind can absolutely help you in these online environments to roll back to a point in time and then reapply the transactions. Um, You get some of that with other backup methodologies like Skykick and so forth. So the rule of thumb is learning a lot about backup and then learning uh, as much as you can about the way the interfaces work. So that'll take some education for that person on APIs and the other 
connection methodologies, RESTful interfaces, SOAP interfaces, and the old SDKs. Right now, you kind of have to know all of them to be the right digital plumber. And that may take a little bit of learning about uh, other tools, maybe some legacy scripting tools, but more likely some of the new generation uh, tools like a Power Automate can drive some of this. So you're probably going to have to learn about Power Automate too. And I don't mind disclosing to you on this one, Sean. We originally thought we could teach accountants to do Power Automate in about four hours. And we actually have written eight hours of CP content on Power Automate, and we don't have it anywhere near complete. And, I, you know, I'm smiling as I say that because, you know, we knew something like Excel or Adobe was complete, and we've got 80-plus hours of how to use Excel. Okay, most people would kind of get that. But Power Automate, it's so rich that there's so much to learn. You can learn enough to be functional, but the more you know, the better you are. So this is a way to amp your skill sets up. So that kind of addresses the digital plumbers. That makes sense to you, Sean? Very much so. Yeah, it's super helpful information and knowledge. And one comment that I would make is it's so interesting, even as technology evolves, right? We've seen the evolution kind of come and go. Uh, you mentioned the mainframe technology and the ability to restore it from any given point in time and then just pick it right back up from right there. It's super interesting to me always how like the new evolution of these tools come about and they add features and functionality, but some gets removed as well too. So now we're talking about having to add that back. So having seen that history, super helpful in order to help educate these firms more about, it's not just about hooking it up, right? It's about managing it. It's about maintaining it. It's about being able to restore it from if you have any of these issues, which you know mainframes were exceptional about. I just found that super interesting. That's why it's yeah. so valuable to know the history. And you are absolutely right because features are being deprecated from products on a regular basis now. And I used to talk about ask for the you know planned roadmap because vendors were pretty good at delivering their roadmap. Now they don't consider roadmaps promises of delivery, which is unfortunate. And also they're taking features out. So I'm I'm a little worried about the deprecation. And then the other thing is we talked about the generation of programmers coming into play. Each new generation of programmers make pretty much the same mistakes yep. every time. So that's why I, having seen this so many times, it's like, yep. yeah, guys, we, we did that, you know, back in 1970 <laughs> this way. Did you yep. ever think about? So that's where occasionally, uh, you know, when I'm helping designers and developers, yep. it's like, really, you can do that? Oh, yeah, <laughs> you can easily do that. Super interesting. Yeah, that having that. Having the vision and the experience of being able to go back and understand and just watch how it evolves over time, super valuable to be able to fill in those gaps because, like you said, they often repeat themselves uh, over they and over do. again. And there's good new ways to do things, and that's actually part of what we're going to do. Is you got to continue to innovate, but you you know you don't make the same bloody mistakes again. So, so you know. True. Your other point about the data scientist. Now, this is actually a, a an educatable approach that can be done. Uh, there's a number of schools, universities are actually doing data science education, and it's a collection of multiple skill sets. Some of it is database design, some of it is KPI design, some of it is low-code, no-code connection tools. And it turns out the curriculums in data scientists will frequently include six or eight or more skill sets, uh, web-enabled tools, and some other pieces. So the, the fact of the matter is, you can take someone that has database skills and 
help them become a data scientist. You can help somebody that's a good analyst become a good data scientist. There's multiple pathways into this skill set. So, you know, your question about training people up, I think you can absolutely do that. Those people, if you're going to hire them right now, are very valuable. Uh, I I don't mind disclosing to you a friend of our family, uh, 20-year-old, did the data science course out of uh, of New York and wound up with a $175,000 a year job. Well, that's zero experience, just the education hired in. And everybody in that course was hired at about those same pay rates, 150 to 225 for no experience. And I'm like, that's pretty interesting. You know, if you're sure looking for a career that's, that's interesting and so forth. But more importantly, the data scientist skill set, I think will be able to apply to client situations on a regular basis. I think it can work in all of the functional areas of uh, professional accounting firms, in tax, in audit, in wealth management. And, you know, there's more. I think I could stretch the business case into litigation support and many, many other areas because you're going to have to look at the data, figure out the relationships, and then go from there. So you are, you are your earlier statement about you know, the whole predictive analytics, the whole data analytics realm, there's so much in there. And just a reminder to uh, you know your listeners, with the new CPA credentials that come into effect in 2024, the, there are going to be three optional areas besides the core of tax audit and accounting. Uh, and those three optional areas are security and data analytics and tax. So, you know, if you t- think about this, the the analytics skill set where you can apply it in so many areas and it's going to be part of the profession standards, you're going to see that as we convert now to 100% real-time auditing in the futures as the standards catch up there, the data science skill set will help you if you're an audit class firm for sure. Definitely. Excellent points across the board about all of those. And the data science one being particularly interesting, I think, as well. Also, as we talk about what that's going to really enable your firm to be able to do. And then the mention about how the CPA requirements are changing, right? So if you can see something like that already underway, you know things are definitely changing in your industry and you're going to have to be prepared for it, right? So that's as good a vote of confidence as any for taking this advice seriously now and readying yourself for it because that time will be here sooner than you realize. And the to the data science element as well too, because I'm sure there's some uh, potential firm owners listening to this episode of questions about, you know, some of the stuff still may be a little technical for them. How should they be thinking of it? I think you've done a good job articulating that, Randy. I would also add to it is you can think of it from the perspective of like, what are some of the questions that you would love to be able to answer that you can't yet? And you can't yet because you don't have the data. If you are able to add that skill set, and I know it's possible as well too, because I have an engineering background and uh, a few data scientists in my network tossed a couple of uh, resources my way, like textbooks in particular. I dove into those and did a bunch of a deep dive into data science and understood a lot of the concepts really well. And the work is so fascinating that once your firm has access to that data, but more importantly, has the ability to do creative things with it, you can start answering some of those more difficult questions that you just previously haven't been able to answer before because A, you may not have had the data and B, even if you did have it, 
the answer lies in there somewhere. And the data science is going to be the person that's going to be able to enable you to be able to get it. And that is just going to add tremendous more value, like a ton of value to your organizations, which I think is also reflected in, as you mentioned, some of those much higher starting salaries. There is a ton of value to be added uh, with someone who has the skill set in terms of what they can do for your firm as you need to manage this data in better and more effective ways. Yeah. And your ton of value, you know, there's three or four leverage points here. If you're a partner managing partner listening to the podcast, just note that the dashboards that you might want to have in the reporting out of your own firm could be practice ground for this. Now, there's about five tools that I normally recommend as leverage for these types of activities in firms. But then if you can do it for yourself, now turn around and what if you can do it for your clients. And and so I got to tell you that um, one of the most brilliant tools, and I am going to name this one specifically, uh, out of the Dallas-Fort Worth area is for impact data. It's the number four and then impact data. And they have figured out how to do a lot of the data analysis work for you automatically to help businesses be profitable and thrive. And that's because the originators all have background in analytics and in dashboarding, and they figured out how to automate that. It's very fascinating stuff, but you can apply that to your firm and you can apply it to your clients, which again, gives you immediate leverage. And now if you've got the data science type skill driving this stuff, you can do some magnificent things that frankly, your clients would love to have you do because you've heard it over and over. Uh, firms need to consider their position on compliance. I think some pundits and consultants are too much over the top that firms should get out of compliance. Nah, I think tax and audit is going to be around for a while. But you can do proactive things in other areas for your clients that are exceptionally valuable. That's why I began asking firms to do advisory work 30 years ago. And that's become more popular in the last five or 10 years. But clearly, the proactive advice for the clients is a big deal. And if you can figure out how to deliver advisory services, I'm going to tell you, supporting them with data science, it would be so doggone much fun. And, you know, if you're kind of, uh, I'm going to say, bored and with the mundane, repetitive work that you have to do and you want something new, this is a challenge. And most CPAs, Sean, that I know are smart, smart people. And, uh, you know, it's not fun to go to work and be bored. Let's go to work and have fun. Such a great point. And I, I hadn't even thought about it until you just mentioned it, because I sit on some of these online communities and I hear some of the sentiment, in particular, coming from the accounts that are stuck at firms where they're doing, as I like to refer to it, quote, like boring, busy work, just like repetitive, manual effort kind of stuff where they're not exercising these creative abilities that they have to solve problems, which many of them are very good at. I think the data science option could be one that could translate very well into the skills that they already have, which is that expert level problem solving, being able to be very comfortable diving in and uh, working with numbers, You know, very easy translation there to all different types of data and things like that. Now they can also scratch that itch for a lot of them who wanted to get a little bit closer to the tech side of all this, all of this incredible uh, just activity in the space at the moment as well, too. So that's a really interesting point you just made there. Uh, for any of the firms listening, I think it's something to definitely start considering because uh, you could really, love, like you said, levers that you can pull on and increasing leverage. That could be a really interesting one into the future, especially as it impacts those different uh, departments. 
Yeah, and on this point, Sean, I think it is a, a method of employee retention. Of course, there's so much concern employee retention right now, number one. Number two, I think you can optimize your workflows like this. Yep. And then number three, if you are really doing an advisory style service, so many of the young CPAs want to be involved with clients, but so many of them you know, managers and partners don't think they're quite ready yet. But if you can get this type of leverage and get these type of engagements, they absolutely can do the work. And, you know, I used to think that you had to be kind of gray haired like me before you could do advice because you needed 10 or 20 years of experience. But with today's tools, you know, if you've, if you've got fundamental understanding of accounting and you have, you know, a little bit of uh, control uh, and guidance from inside the firm, you can do some wonderful things for clients that are very valuable to them and frankly, very profitable engagements. Excellent point. Absolutely. Couldn't agree more. And uh, so, so much interesting content, especially on this topic, Randy, I can't thank you enough for being here and sharing your knowledge. And I could talk to you about this stuff literally all day. So I will absolutely have to have you back as long as that's okay with you to dive into a ton of other topics that I'd love to explore as well too. But for this one, I have only a couple of questions left before we let you go. The first one, and you've mentioned a lot of excellent resources already. So there could be an opportunity to either rename some that you've mentioned or mention any others that you'd like to share as well too. Are there any resources in particular that you'd like to point folks to where they could go to learn more about anything we talked about here or anything else that you think is valuable for them to explore? Yeah, I appreciate that. Well, uh, as you heard in the intro, uh, you know, where I've been a partner shareholder in K2 for 35 plus years, we've created a lot of resources on our websites. So the easiest way to get there is k2e.com, but that ties you to the other three sites that we have, CPA Firm Tech, uh, Accounting Software World, and Totally Paperless, and uh, then also to CPE today. So I actually have five different sites that are all related to the K2 business. Now, all of those are CPE sites. They're not sales sites. So we try to keep them very factual and we have lots of content in lots of different areas. So um, I, I would suggest that for this audience, perhaps CPA firm tech or accounting software world are the two most germane sites. Amazing. Thank you for sharing, Randy. Excellent, excellent resources. And I've consumed a lot of that content myself as well, too. It's fantastic. So I encourage every listener to this episode in particular to visit each and every one of those sites and consume as much of that information as you can, because it's incredibly informative. We'll also link to those in the show notes as well. And then the last question I have for you, Randy, is who should reach out to you and how can they get in touch? I appreciate that too. Now, this is going to sound irrational, Sean, but I've done it this way for my entire career. Um, sometimes people say, well, what size of businesses do you work with? And the answer is, you know, I will actually talk to anybody from sole practitioner to, you know, top 100 firm in the CPA firm space, but I actually am pretty good in a lot of industries. So normally what I'd like to do is just have uh true decision makers reach out yeah. people that are project leads reach out and say look i've got these issues and questions and many times i can save um, people hours and weeks in a 30 minute one hour 
uh, call. And my rule of thumb is I don't charge for those calls, which is, I've been told is also irrational, but I just learn new stuff from everybody I talk to. And I usually try to give them, here's some things you can do. So um, email is probably the best way to get me because I answer that the, uh, pretty much every day. So I'm as simple as it sounds, randy at k2e.com. And, uh, you know, you can call me and I always pick up my own phone when I'm available, but I do keep a pretty busy schedule, as you figured out, just trying to schedule me in, Sean. I would have to imagine that is definitely the case. I can second that as well also. And that is uh, some incredible things that you've shared with us as well, too. We will link to those as well. And I'd highly encourage everybody to take advantage of that if you have the opportunity to do so and are lucky enough. And uh, music to my ears as well, too, about getting all that time back. I like to pursue that as a mission myself as well, too. Uh, so, Randy, I, I can't thank you enough for being here and sharing your incredible knowledge and experience with both myself and our audience. Very good, Sean. Thank you for the opportunity to speak with you and, and your uh, listeners. And, uh, yeah, we'll come back again because I know we were going to want to we wanted to talk about workflow. We didn't get there. <laughs> That's right. Next time. Awesome. <laughs> Next time. Thank you, Randy. All right. All the best to you. Good day. Thanks for listening to this episode of Accounting Automation. I hope you found it valuable. I help accounting firms scale their profit exponentially without needing to hire any additional accountants. So if your firm is in growth mode and can't keep up, I'd love to talk to you more about how I can empower your firm to do more with less through automation and technology. To learn more, visit my website, nextstep.io, or email me, sean at nextstep.io. That's sean, S-E-A-N, at nextstep, N-X-T-S-T-E-P, dot I-O. Hey folks, Sean here, and I want to thank you for engaging with my content and encourage you to sign up for my free five-day video email course called Bottleneck Buster. Bottleneck Buster is designed to show you how to boost the profitability of your firm without hiring. You'll learn where your firm is wasting time, how to get that time back, and how to reinvest it to drive greater profitability. Sign up for the course at bottleneckbuster.com.